how many of you were blessed by the ministry of our young family, young people today? I'm letting you be in there, Scott, Daryl, Mike. Good job, guys. Thank you very much. We were, uh, you did what, what was intended in the music. You brought us to Christ and to the throne. Thank you. This morning, we're kind of moving along in a process we've been describing for a couple of weeks. We talked for the last couple of weeks about being discontent, wholly discontent. A discontentedness that comes from God. When God taps you and says, you're out of alignment with me, you've slipped aside from something and so I want to bring you back to alignment. Or when God simply puts something on your heart that is in his heart and draws you to that and to, for, to the opportunity for him to fill you with his power and his majesty in that moment. And today I want to talk to you a little bit about alignment Specifically, as it relates to the idea that our lives can drift like the front end of a car right out of alignment. That our lives can become disaligned. And that alignment, that disalignment is specific to how we become disaligned with God. And so this morning, I want to introduce you to my car. Now... If you looked at this car from my perspective, you would say, oh, man. If you look at this car from uh, Pastor Spiegel, my best friend in college perspective, he would say, oh, no. And if you looked at this car from my wife's perspective, who probably rode in it more than anyone else, she would say, hmm. You see, this car had awesome abilities. If you were to read the Chrysler ad for this vehicle, now this is the 1974, mine was the 1972, but this was the only one I could find with the right paint job. <laughs> this car had a fold-down rear seat. And you could get it with a special package with a sunroof. And so this car was part convertible, part two-seater muscle car, and part truck. And the ads show a girl sticking out of the sunroof with a surfboard sticking through the car out up into the back of the car. See, this came in very handy for me because everything I owned I could fit in the back of that car. My wife once, before she was my wife, asked me to haul some hay for her in the back of this car. So you could get a bale, I actually think you could get two bales, but I think I only, only hauled one of hay in the back of that car, close the trunk, drive along. Took the hay up to where her horses were. And this car had some idiosyncrasies. One of which was that the trunk leaked. So what would, what would happen after I hauled the hay to my wife? I parked the car in the lot uh, near Newton Hall where I was in college and it rained as it is often done there. And while it rained, some water leaked into the car. Now, I didn't pay any attention to this. You know, it's, it's a car it's sitting in the lot. I'm not even driving it. I'm mo mostly going to school. But while I was not paying attention, 
the seeds that had fallen out of the hay bale began to sprout. (laughs) Wet carpet, great medium for a grass. And so some weeks later, when I opened the trunk of the car to look inside, there inside my car was a sparse but truly identifiable lawn. I just closed the car lid and figured that the summer weather would take care of it, and it did. (laughs) This car also had a hole in the floorboard right over there. And this hole in the floorboard went along for years unnoticed. I didn't know there was a hole under the carpet in the floorboard of my car. Some body plug that was supposed to be in there somehow over the years had gotten taken out or knocked out or lost. Somehow it wasn't there. And so there was a nice, neat, round hole there that no one knew was there until I hit a puddle at the right angle and the right depth and water came up between my wife's feet, who wasn't my wife at the time and she still married me. Small geyser right through the carpet. And back down. It only happened twice. It happened to my wife and it happened to Pastor Spiegel because they were the persons who most often rode in the other side of the seat. Eventually, this car started to lose alignment. You know when a car starts to lose alignment, it starts to pull you either into the oncoming traffic or toward the ditch, right? Well, this was pulling toward the right, toward the ditch, but it was easy to compensate. As the car began to go more and more out of alignment, I just put a little extra power on the left side of the steering wheel and I could stay in the middle of the road right where I needed to be. I didn't pay too much attention. I was a poor college student, so when the tires started to wear, I let them wear. Rotate the front ones, rotated the back ones to the front and let them go. Then they started to get a little threadbare and so... Because they were getting worse and worse and wearing out quicker and quicker, I actually just started putting used tires on there because they're going to wear down fast anyway. And I know somebody in their head just said, yeah, but if you'd saved the money from buying the tires, you could have gotten the alignment. True. But this all happened between the ages of 18 and 23. Think about that age group. Were you really good at long-term financial planning then? If you were then, you are a wealthy person now. Or at least much better off. And so I didn't worry about it. It went on and it went on and it went on. And then as the the tires kept wearing, things continued to get worse. And eventually, these little fellows wore out. See, on the top of the right-hand tire, there's an arm that went out that was called the control arm. It was part of the A-arm. Don't worry about that. But there's a bushing in there just like that. Apparently, the ones in my car lost all the rubber because you would go down the road and when you were making a turn, there was a tipping point in the, in the tire. And so as you were making the turn, the tire would tip over and sort of jerk you to the right. But I'd been adjusting and adjusting and adjusting to this for years now. And so I just knew when that tire was about to tip and I just set it backwards straight. So I'd be going around the corner, the tire would tip out, and I'd adjust back to the middle before it could move me to the, to the uh, ditch, and I was fine. I remember going, uh, I was traveling on Pence Road in Paradise with Mike Spiegel in, this, in the passenger seat one day, 
And he'd always complained about this car because since it was out of alignment and these things were going bad, he called it a rounder, roundy rounder, which meant the tires kind of had funky bow to them, had a funky edge to them. And I was going <clears throat> around a particular cor- corner on Pence Road in Paradise, California. And as I came around the corner, the tire did what it was always going to do. I knew it was about to happen and it tipped. And when it tipped, I just adjusted back. And my friend Mike kind of changed color a little and gasped a little and looked at me and said, what was that? I said, don't worry about it. It's fine. You see, I had adjusted to it. I had adjusted to the misalignment of the front end. I had adjusted to the fact that my right-hand tire actually had a tipping point. I don't know if any of you have ever had this experience, but it, it, it literally would ride along and then all of a sudden go, like that. And when it did that, you just had to catch it. I had adjusted to the idiosyncrasies of my car to the point where I was comfortable with something that was actually dangerous. And I didn't even think about it. I didn't even worry about it. Because I had adjusted to it. Isn't it amazing how we can get comfortable with stuff? You know, we just, we're like the frog in the kettle. Turn up the temperature, it gets nice and warm, and then it gets nice and hot. You can boil us right in that pot because we're just getting adjusted to the thing. Our spiritual life is a lot like that car. On the outside, that's what it looked like. Actually, that left rear fender, a girl hit me in that fender, right where about where it says Dodge. And so by the, t- that car's end of its life, it had kind of a gray spot there where I had repaired it in auto shop class. Other than that, that's what it looked like. The appearance, from all appearances, the car was okay, but you could grow grass in the trunk. And if you hit a mud puddle, a, a puddle right, you could get water up between the feet of the passenger. And there was a dangerous tipping point in that right-hand tire. I sold that car for $500. After full disclosure of all of what I just told you. I looked today. Looked on the internet this week. It's worth between five and $10,000 now, and because it was this model, two-door coupe, yellow sport package, closer to ten. But if I had it around, the wheel would have fallen off by now, and I'd died in some ditch somewhere. So, you know, all is fair. But I wonder if anybody else's life has ever gotten out of alignment. Have you ever had something get a little out of alignment, and you just adjusted to it? You know, at first it wasn't such a big deal. It was just a, it's just a small habitual change. You know, it, it could be a good habit that you stopped doing. It could be a bad habit that you began doing. But a small habitual change began to take place. And you just noticed it at first and then just kind of adjusted to it. You just got comfortable with it. You stopped reading the scriptures as much and you stopped reading them altogether. But over time, you just got used to the idea. And, you know, you you stopped taking those extra minutes, those extra hours to be with God. And you just adjusted to the distance that was growing between the two of you. You got out of alignment and you just got used to hanging on to the left-hand side of the steering wheel. You started practicing habits that were outside your own values. You know, you knew what your values were. You had a pretty good understanding of what the practices that that maintained your spiritual life, that maintained your walk were. And you just kind of started getting to the point where something, just one little thing, started changing. I don't know what it was. It was the occasional lie. 
It was, it was the, the willingness to linger over a, a, an image, a picture, or, or somebody. And, and, and it just kind of started, started simply enough. It wasn't that big of a deal, and you adjusted to it. And you just kept adjusting and adjusting and adjusting. Lots of lives end up in the ditch because of those adjustments we make, right? Eventually that stinking wheel falls off. We find ourselves in the ditch. You know what's funny about this car? I used to defend it. My friend Mike, who, before he, be, before he came to college, was a journeyman butcher. Now, I don't know if you know anything about that, but he made a pretty good living. So he had a nice car at college. I spent all my money on college. I couldn't waste my money on cars. And so he would regularly complain about the car, especially after he found that there was a hole between his feet and the floorboard. That became very personal to him. A little water on his feet. That's it, you know. And I would defend it. I would defend it. The trunk leaks, but it's a big trunk. It's a great car. Quit complaining. You can walk if you don't like it. I'm not going with you in the rain because my feet are going to get wet. Big baby, we'll ride your, we'll take your car in the rain. And isn't it funny how when you get misaligned with your own values and with your understanding of God, when you get misaligned, you defend it. Your friend says something to you and you defend your behavior as if it's okay. Right? As if growing grass in the trunk of your car is normal. Everybody does it. Only in Mendocino. Those of you from, that are not from California visiting a family member today, they'll explain it after church. We defend the indefensible because we've adjusted to our misalignments. So what I want to talk about today, since we all understand that we, we have misalignments, right? All of us understand that this happens to us. If you, if you had the opportunity this week, and it came out on Thursday, so I doubt it, to read the, the blog or the, the, the church newsletter, we kind of touched on this as in, in there to this week. But, but the idea that alignment is hard to maintain and takes effort is why we sort of drift because we drift away from the effort that it takes to maintain it. Spiritual misalignment is when my heart drifts, drifts from God and I begin to be pulled toward the ditch. Right? Spiritual misalignment is when my heart drifts from God. Now, now a holy discontent is created by a holy God. He brings something into your face and he puts it up there. He holds up the mirror. He holds up the sign and says, hey, you're out of alignment right here. Either to correct something or to give you a new direction, to give you a new purpose, to give you, point you off in some direction like Popeye. You know, I, I, all I can stand, I can't stand anymore. I'm going that way. Whatever that holy discontent is, it comes from God. This misalignment is the slow drift of a sinful heart away from the values and norms of what it means to follow God. How does it happen? Oh, and there's a million of these. I've just given you a couple. We, we get too busy. We forget that we're here to redeem the time. We should be redeeming the time because the days are evil. The very days around us. We get so busy. We get so caught up in the things that we have to do and the things we want to do and the things our kids need to do and the things our family calls us for. And this time of year is worse than any, right? 
between now and December 25th is a dead-on full sprint for most people. Because we're just busy. We get ourselves so busy that the busyness takes up the time for maintaining the alignment. We, we have misplaced affection. Now, this could be applied to a lot of things, right? It could be applied to a person. It could be applied to a thing. It could be applied to a wallet. It can be applied to a lot of things. Missed Misplaced affection. We have misplaced affection. The, the, the fir- in First John, it simply describes anyone who loves the world, love of the Father is not in them. You fall in love with the stuff, and there's not place for two things to be on the top of the list. God is at the top, and if we fall in love with other stuff, something takes his place. And we become misaligned. And like I said, there's a a ton of other things we could talk about here, but that's not my main point. I just wanted to make it clear that we all have this problem, that we all deal with this. I'm not okay, and you're not okay. Okay? Okay. The book is wrong. I'm not okay, and you're not okay. And the sooner we get that clear in our heads, the sooner we'll understand that it takes effort to stay aligned with the heart of God. It takes effort. The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful. A puzzle that no one can figure out. Message Bible, Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah, before he gets to Lamentations, delivers this, baby. How's that feel? In extreme cases, you have Noah's time. God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of the heart was evil continually. The state of mankind when allowed to just drift to the edges in the ditch. The last words of the book of Judges, I don't, you're probably familiar with these if you read the scripture much. In those days, after describing all the horrible things that had gone on in those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We have a, we have a big popularity for that last phrase in our, in our society today. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. I am my own set of judgments. I am my own standard for everything. And I do what is right in my eyes. And I don't care what anybody else says. There are no standards or values that I have to up, uphold or, or um, align myself with. So I called this sermon, Thanksgiving, a life hack. Do you know what a life hack is? If you're over 30, you're not, uh, have to, you're not having to be apologetic about that. Ask a 17-year-old, they'll tell you what a life hack is. Anybody under, anybody under that probably can deal with it. A life hack is what we used to call a shortcut. Somebody gives you a shortcut. Somebody tells you how to do something more simply or more efficiently, save you time, save you energy, shows you how to do it better. That's a life hack. Okay, remember uh, these kids grew up with, uh, <clears throat> with hacking things, right? Hackers are people who break into programs and make them do what they want them to do. And there were hacks on their games. So a kid would get a game and they'd get their, their PlayStation. You'd buy them a game for Christmas and they'd start playing the game. Pretty soon you find them on the internet doing research about the game. And you ask them what they're doing. You said, oh, I'm hacking the game. And they'd find out if you push this button four times and that button six times and that button three times, something changes on the screen and now you can do something else. They've hacked the game. This is a life 
hack. These are popular on the Internet. Life hacks for all kinds of things. How you should bake a pie, how you should peel a potato, how you should go about your day, tie a tie, number of things. Life hacks for a whole bunch of stuff. Thanksgiving is a life hack for this alignment problem. Thanksgiving is a life hack for our misalignment problem. Let me see if I can explain it to you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ. What is God's will for you then? Misalignment, adjustments back when the wheel starts to pull you into the ditch? No? According to Scripture, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. That's God's will for you. That you would be rejoicing all the time. That that you would be able to be rejoicing. That you would have the sort of heart that allows you to rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Pray always. And in everything give thanks. Isn't this one of those inaccessible passages? Doesn't this passage feel like it's out of reach? It's on a shelf beyond my capacity to reach. It says, it says that I'm supposed to rejoice always. What when I don't feel like rejoicing? What about when things aren't going so awesome in my life? How about when things are messed up, either by my choice or someone else's choice? How do I, how do I get to rejoicing from there? I get it when I'm on the mountaintop and it's beautiful all around me and I'm, I'm loving this thing and I had this great experience. I, I can rejoice there. It's easy because I've made the mountaintop. What do I do when I'm in the valley? What do I do when things are falling apart around me? How do I do that rejoicing always business then? And, and, and pray without ceasing. Does that seem inaccessible? Doesn't it sound like you'd walk around mumbling to yourself all the time? That you'd be wandering through your day mumbling mantras or something to try to, try to keep praying all the time? That, you know, if somebody would try to talk to you and you'd say, wait, I'm in the middle of something and you try to answer their questions between moments in the prayer? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything, give thanks. It seems inaccessible. It seems like we can't really get there. Unless he's trying to explain a different approach than I think, that doesn't seem accessible. Maybe we, can, maybe we can break this down a bit. Psalm 28, David says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts Him. Catch that word, my heart trusts Him. And I am helped. Therefore my heart exalts. And my song, and with my song I shall thank Him. David is saying... I have discovered that I can trust God. And as a result of that discovery, as a result of discovering that I can trust God, my heart has begun to exalt. Now, can you think of your heart, your internal clock, your internal norms being praise and thanksgiving and rejoicing? Can you, can you, can you collect it that way? When the words don't have to be on your lips, but they're in your heart, can you collect the idea that way? 
that I can rejoice, that, that out of the abundance of my heart, I, an overflow of my heart becomes exalting, becomes thanks, becomes rejoicing. Do you, do you see how that might be possible? might be more accessible if it doesn't have to be the spoken word that it can be actually the experience of the heart. You get it? Let's keep looking for a minute. Paul would write to the Colossians, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord. So what state are we in here? This is a person who's a Christian, right? There's a person who's, who's trusted Jesus. It's a person who's given their heart to Christ, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord. So let me stop you there for a second. If you're not in that space this morning, this is, this is, this is cornerstone, anchor place one. Step one in life hack here, the step one in this hack is to get on the, on the alignment side of things, to even care about the alignment with Christ, to be in a relationship with him where you even know what that means, to, to say, look, I know that I'm pretty messed up and I know that you did something about that and I, I can't really explain it right now, but I'd like to get in on that. Okay, now I, I, know, that was, that, I know that wasn't your traditional picture of how that works, but can I just repeat it for you, that, that you can come to God and say, I know that I'm pretty messed up. I know when it talks about that heart being deceitfully wicked, that's a pretty good description of me. I can't even control the thing. It gets out of hand all the time. I, I don't know where it's going to go. My brain goes wandering off into directions without, without help all the time. I am pretty messed up, and I know you've done something about that. I don't fully understand what you did, but I'd like to get in on that. You see, you're not saved by knowledge. You're saved by a choice, a decision to follow after Jesus. He does, the he does the, all that needs to happen after that. He, he puts you in a place where you can learn. You come to church, you learn. You read the scriptures, you learn. You pray, you learn. You're, you're in, in contact with others who believe and you learn. He'll put you in the place to learn. You'll begin to understand. But to start with, you seem to know that you're a mess and he's not and he's trying to fix that and you can get in on that. So if you're trying to figure that out today, you don't need a bunch of theological understanding. You don't have to go to seminary for this. You just need to know you're not where you need to be. He is where you need to be, and you want to get in on what he's trying to do. And you don't have to, you don't have to do some magical, transformational makeup job on yourself to get in. He already knows the mess you're in. That's why he's trying to help. So he says, just come. Come on. So step one is, as you as, as, and you, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. You started with Him, now just keep following Him. Let your roots go down into Him. Let your lives be built upon Him. So who's the center of all this? Jesus is. Your roots are in Jesus. You're, you're being built upon Jesus. You're continuing to follow Jesus. You've accepted Him. You're following Him. Your roots are reaching into Him. You're growing in Him. All of, all of this, this is happening as He is the center of all of this story. And then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Rejoice always because it's overflowing. Praise because it's overflowing. Be thankful because it's overflowing. You can do this because it's not your effort. It's the overflow of the transformation of Christ inside. 
rejoicing always isn't something you muster up. It's something that's mustered up inside of you. You put your roots down into Jesus. You're following after him. And the growth is developing in you that understanding that you were hoping for. And out of it, there's an overflow of thankfulness. You get it so far? Are you picking this up as we're getting it down here? All right, let's keep moving. Jesus, in this process, can give us new eyes. Now, that's kind of where we've been talking about for a while. New eyes. I pray, Paul said to the Ephesians, that the eyes of your heart may be opened. So, so first, first feast, it's an overflow. It's an overflow. It's an overflow. He's filled up. And it's an overflow. There's an overflow of thankfulness. There's an overflow of rejoicing. There's an overflow because something's changed inside of you. And now there's an overflow of these things. You're not trying to reach a shelf. You've been lifted up to the shelf. Jesus has raised you up and now it's just happening. It's normal for you now to rejoice and to praise and to be thankful. Those things come out of you because they're in you, because they're so full in you that they can't help but flow out of you. You don't have the capacity to keep them in. They just come out. That's what the spiritual life is supposed to be. We're to get to the point where we're rejoicing all the time, not because we're mustering up rejoicing, but because it's just so awesome. We learn to trust him and love him and follow him. And thankfulness just pours out of us like an overflow. Good times, bad times, high times, low times. Rejoicing pours out of us because we know the one who leads. We know we're safe in his hand. And like David, we trust him. We have put our faith in him. We've given him our weight and we trust him. We believe that He will hold us up no matter what happens. We trust Him no matter where we stand. We know that we can rest in Him and thankfulness comes out of our heart as a natural result of that experience. I received some new eyes a couple weeks ago in church. I'm getting a little blind in my old age. I have to carry these around with me and it's kind of frustrating. I cannot run the thermostat in this building without putting glasses on. And when I put them on, I can see my hand, but I, you're all kind of fuzzy out there. It's kind of a pain in the neck. So which do I pick? Close-up clear and long-distance fuzzy or long-distance fuzzy and close-up, or long-distance clear and close-up fuzzy? Not my fun thing. I'm going to get, like Bruce, I think I'll get one eye to look close and one eye to look far, Bruce. That seems to be the only option here. But I learned something. Someone put a new pair of glasses on me a couple of weeks ago. We were at the end of our discipleship class. We were, we'd been talking for a while. We were talking about the ideas that we were, we, we were discussing three weeks ago, <coughs> three Sabbaths ago. We were, we were discussing the idea <coughs> excuse me, of holy discontent. And as we were talking through that, we were discussing various things, thankfulness and stuff like that came up. And as we were talking about how are you thankful in this world and the mess that we're in, Mark Ashlock wrapped up the glass. He closed it, he wrapped it up, and he put a new pair of glasses on my my eyes that have been changing my perspective and making me think since. And I have his permission to tell you I got it from him. This This is a general paraphrase of what he said. If the normal state of man is sinful, heart is deceitfully wicked, when Noah's... When, when Noah was around, the world had gotten so far off that God said every thought of their mind continually is wicked. If the normal state of mankind is sinful, and if sin creates evil in mankind, evil is as normal as gravity on this planet. Do you follow the logic so far? 
This is a place where sin reigns, the Bible says. The Bible says that sin is normal here, that, that death reigns and sin reigns and pain reigns and suffering reigns, that that's the norm for the place where we live. This is the armpit of the universe, remember. Angels don't come here on vacation. They work here. They're a sign. They punch a clock to come to this place. You and I think it's all that cool. They don't. And God's waiting for the opportunity to change the mess we find ourselves in. If the normal state of man is sinful and sin creates evil in mankind and evil is, nor- is as normal as gravity, then, then, and this is what put the glasses on my face, every good thing we see is a cause for rejoicing. I read uh, a, a little like two-line statement from someone recently. I don't know if you sent it to me. Someone else sent it to me. I read it. I, I don't know who sent it. Thank you, whoever did. This is what it said. The woman said, we often say grace before our meals. God, thank you for this food that I'm about to eat. Bless it and bless those who prepared it, right? We say grace before we eat. Three times a day, we're in the practice. He's, this, this person, this woman said, I'm learning to say grace every time I run into something that's a given from God. A beautiful sunrise. Thank you, dear God, for the sunrise. A spectacular fall tree. Thank you, God, for the fall colors and the leaves. The smile of a little child. Thank you, God, for what you've provided and sent in front of me today. A smile instead of a frown from the lady who's checking me out at the grocery store. I'm rejoicing, God, because she could have easily just been nasty, and she wasn't. Do you know what these glasses did to me? They brought this text into clear perspective. Because this text has always bothered me. You know what bothered me? The first word. Every. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father. The every bothered me. Because I figured Henry does some good things for me. That's, it's awesome. I hear Henry play his guitar. It's a good thing, and I'm blessed by that. That's not from God, right? Nope, it is. That if the normal state of mankind is to be evil continually, and you don't see something bad happening, there's cause for rejoicing in the smallest thing or the greatest thing. So in the midst of tough days and hard things when we're struggling to, to know what to do or how we're going to accept what's coming, in the midst of the day when the doctor says, this is it for you, you can still look around you at the, the things that demonstrate, listen carefully, the things that demonstrate that God is winning and rejoice. Because every smile, every kind act every choice to do something that is righteous, whether the person is aware of it or not, is a demonstration of the Spirit's presence and a demonstration that in that moment, at that place, in that life, in whatever's happening, God is winning. You want to know what alignment looks like? Get in the practice of saying thank you to God on a regular basis. Get in the practice of rejoicing on a regular basis. Get in the practice of praising on a regular basis. And alignment with the heart of God will naturally be the result. 
Because you want to follow someone who's blessing you like that. You want to trust someone who's blessing you like that. You want to lean into someone who's blessing you like that. You want to be yoked together with someone who's blessing you like that. And as you begin, as we begin to recognize that blessing over and over, and we begin the practice of being thankful and looking into into that, that present moment and being blessed because God is with us and he is blessing us, we will find ourselves aligning with that heart. And we will find to rejoice comes out of us as an overflow. And we will find thanks that comes out of us as an overflow. Not something we're trying to do, but something we naturally are. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In every little thing, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you haven't yet gotten in Christ Jesus, get in. This is the fun party. All the other ones lead to harm and sadness and brokenness. This one leads to the kingdom of heaven where there is only joy and rejoicing. Where there is no pain, no sorrow, no suffering, and no death. If you're not in this game, get in this game because this is... This is where the fun party is. This is where the adventure is. This is where the joy is. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that, <clears throat> that we're pretty broken. We're here this morning, even this Sabbath morning. We have divided hearts. We're here. Sometimes we'd like to be somewhere else. We're listening, but we're thinking about other things. We're mixed up and we're confused a lot of the time. Teach us to let the overflow of our lives be rejoicing and thanks and praise. Help us to be so much aligned with you, so continuously following you, that we are filled to the point where we can't hold any more. And we're just saying, you're awesome, God. Thank you. Help us to remember that any good thing we see is worthy of a thanks to the one who sent it. Change our hearts, our paradigms, and our eyes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As the offering is collected, please join us in singing Touch the Sky one more time.
Freedom, gold can't find. 